0: M Night Shyamalan's name invokes a lot of interesting reactions. I think I said his name. Some people still like his movies, while others are immediately turned off by even mentioning. But in 2002, he could go no wrong. Signs was his third movie, it was following The Sixth Sense and Break. Looking back, I asked myself. Was science a good movie, and does that even matter? Hello again, my most excellent friends, how is the Wasteland treating you all? Despite all our hardships and the challenges that we face,
1: we are all still here, and the sun still shines and life is still good. And may that change.
0: This story begins long before this movie was released. It begins with the meteoric rise of a new and exciting director and the release of two of the best movies of the last century. It's hard to picture it now, but The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable really were smash hits. Movies that left us thinking long after we left the cinema, and the promise of the future. But what M. Night could deliver after, well, the sky really was the limit. That wonderful sense of what's next and the inability to predict it. There's something special about that. And that's definitely where he was after those two movies. I was too young to really appreciate to truly understand the significance of it all. But I could still recognize greatness, even at that age. And he really would have been great. When it was announced that M. Nash next movie would be about crop signs, I was so ecstatic. I loved that stuff as a kid. Nessie, Bigfoot, aliens, all that stuff. It was the mysteries of the world truly fascinating. And I spent many a day in my local library's paranormal section, reading as much as I could get my hands on. So I knew that crop circles more than likely meant aliens. Or at least, the possibility was there. It also kinda dates me when I think about it. You see there was no YouTube in those days, you couldn't just fire it up on your phone and watch a few creepy videos like you can do nowadays, if you wanted that stuff. You needed to have like a creepy uncle or do like me and go to the library and check those books out and actually read them. Lots of good memories from those books. Even if most of the stuff I read turned out to be bonk as it often is. But I digress. I was excited to watch this but For whatever reason, I know we didn't go to the movies to watch it. And if we did, that's not what I remember. It's not a core memory. I'll tell you what I remember. I remember a trailer park, for some reason. We had friends who lived in a trailer park, and I guess my family made an afternoon of it. There must have been food and drink, and afterwards, when the lights had gone down, we gathered around their living room, which was huge for a trailer, and we watched a movie. We watched it on one of those old school TVs, the big ones with the big tube behind it. My old man always wanted one of those TVs, but... We never bought one. Never had the money. And besides, by the time I really came of age, they were already pretty old. A thing of the past. Plasmas were coming up, and we couldn't afford those either. Still, there was something about watching this movie on an old-school tube like that one that made the experience even more I wish I could say that M. Night went on to bigger and better. Sometimes it doesn't play out like that. You peek early. And then you chase the glory of the old, refusing to change with the times. Man, I don't know if that's what happened to him. It just kind of seems that way to me. I always used to say that he needed a little kid when he was writing his movies. Someone who could read the script and just point out the little details like, if you're hinting at a monster, then maybe, I don't know, just maybe put a monster in there. Know what I mean, Jellybean? I'm no expert in his movies. After the happening, I was like, "Okay, whatever, whatever he's got, is long gone." Lots of people like Split. Wish more people would have liked Glass. It, it was a gamble. You don't win those sometimes. Also, I'll only say this once: if your movie features a giant eagle as the climax, then bro, I need to see that giant eagle. I just. We need to see it, man. But again, I digress. This this is about signs. So let's talk about signs, man. What makes it a good movie? What the obvious flaws are? And more importantly, how it holds up. Because it does hold up, despite all the naysayers. Oh, spoilers ahead, I guess. I mean, you've had plenty of time to watch this movie already. If you haven't seen it, watch it. If you've seen it, bro, watch it again. Lots of good stuff to catch a second time. Maybe you haven't seen it, but you want to hear me talk about it anyway. That, that That's kind of cool, too. This movie about crop circles and aliens and priests. And I guess the biggest stretch of the movie is to get me to believe that Mel Gibson can be a priest because it's Mel Gibson. But that's that's doing the movie a major disservice. It's a movie about grief, forgiveness and the bright future that we all have, despite. Whatever hardships we face. It's about a family trying to stay together, struggling to move on because of the loss of a core member of their family. And in this regard, it's really well done. Mel Gibson's character is so shook up about the untimely circumstances of his wife's
1: passing that he's kind of just given up on himself, turned his back on his beliefs, and is just existing, kind of like frozen in time, unsure
0: of what to do. Or where to go next, and I get that. It's its a way of dealing with grief, with loss. We all process it differently. He goes by Graham, and he's the owner of a farm in a rural area in Pennsylvania. hes He's got crops like most farmers do, and his children are also dealing with the loss of their mother in their own way. They have withdrawn into one another. They speak in hush whispers and cryptic words. Merrill, who's played by Joaquin Phoenix, Is that how you say his name? Phoenix? Phoenix? does not matter. Merle, he's moved to the farm to be with his brother to help him through in these trying times. He's unsure of what to do, unsure of what to say, but I think his presence, just his presence, is greatly appreciated. The plot truly kicks off when they notice a crop circle spring up overnight on their land, and the rest is, well, history. What was the last time you saw this movie? As always, I implore the whole lot of you to watch this movie again. Chances are it's been a while. Chances are you don't remember the little details that make this movie what it is. Join me on this retrospective journey. Let's take a look at what made this movie the last well-made movie of M.I. Shyamalan's career. As always spoilers inbound, before we really get into it I just kind of want to highlight a few of the more wacky aspects of this movie because it definitely has a few of them. First of all you're watching the movie and the credits start playing and then the music starts playing. Why is this intro so dramatic I mean you got the violins and the wind instruments going so hard. And nothing's happened. I mean, that's one way to kind of get your attention. But nothing's happened. Uh, We see Mel Gibson's character used to be married, but not anymore. Uh, One of the things that's interesting about this movie is the dialogue. It's it's so weird. Like, not awkward, but odd. And I'm going to definitely talk more about this later on as we get through this. But I just had to I had to write that down and mention it as one of the observations because I guess I didn't catch this the first time that I saw this movie or second or the third. But looking back at it now, it's definitely stunted just a little bit. Um, There's this whole conversation later on in the movie about a female Scandinavian Olympian who can do the high jump. I always
1: thought that scene was kind of silly. We'll talk more about that when we talk more about that. Um, Let's see. Uh,
0: Later on in the movie, they talk to this army guy. And then I guess he had like a monologue and he was really trying to sell it. I just don't understand why he says it with the intensity. He says it. I think it's kind of weird. I like that when the movie, you know, when the plot actually starts going they close the school, they become invisible, I don't know, I, I always thought that um, while the story is like the struggle of this family to try to get through these monumental events that are happening around the world, I always thought that M. Night could have
1: shown us just a little bit more of what the outside world was like, but he didn't really do that, so it's a missed opportunity, whatever uh let's see what else oh yeah that scene um where he's watching
0: the the Brazilian kids and then that Brazilian kid knows English just some random little
1: kid knows English I always thought that scene was kind of dumb but it does make me laugh um the baby monitor is is nice I guess that seems meant to invoke tension and it kind of does that sort of I don't know. anyway what I do want to talk about is the theory let's
0: talk about one of the most popular theories that's been attached to this movie in the last couple of years the one that tries to make away with the whole did the aliens come to a place filled with water when water is death? That's the big twist of the movie. And that is the big twist in the movie. Because every Shyamalan movie has had a twist since the Sixth Sense. I guess he likes that. I've never been a huge fan of the theory. Not because of the theory per se. Not because it's like bad or anything. But because from the get-go it's supposed to be aliens from somewhere else, hence the reason why there's so much of an emphasis on the crop circles. That's exclusively an extraterrestrial thing. So The theory states that the alien visitors are not from outer space, as the movie leads us to believe, but instead they are demons from another dimension. And Some people go as far as to say there's a lot of evidence in the movie that points to the whole there are demons theory. There's a lot of YouTube videos that make a good case for this theory. If you want all the details, look up one of these videos. Just quickly, we can go over a few facts. For one, while it's true that we see lights in the sky and we see crop circle signs pop up all over the world, it's not officially stated that these entities came from outer space. We only assume they do because Morgan buys a book about aliens. Because they look like what we think some alien species look like. And because crop circles, signs are associated with the UFO phenomena. But there's some real merit to the discussion that these things didn't come from outer space, but instead the space between spaces.
1: And let's look at some of those. Uh, We don't see any actual alien ships,
0: UFOs, or anything that's typically attached to what we consider an alien invasion. As said, we see lights in the sky, and these lights mysteriously appear all over the world, strategically over major cities. The easiest cop-out to this particular detail is actually addressed in the movie. So props to the film for doing that. And the movie, after they all go into town to get their minds off the crop circles, uh, Morgan ends up buying a book on aliens. I don't know if I said this before, but Morgan is one of the kids. Uh, he's played by one of the Culkin kids. I, Kieran, I want to say it's Kieran. Uh, anyway. Said book, the book that this kid buys, actually states, the book says, that in the event of an alien invasion, the aliens would not use their technology on humans, as their reasoning is that humanity would eventually resort to nuclear weapons. I mean it's sound reasoning. However, I don't know if aliens from outer space would reason like that, I mean would they care? If they could travel millions and millions of miles through deep space, you're trying to tell me they care whether we blow ourselves up or not? Uh, That can only mean one thing. All I'm saying is they could just trick us into blowing ourselves up and then terraform our planet to their heart's content. Uh, That's what I do. If anything, the fact that they don't do this kind of leads credence to the whole demon theory. Uh, let's, let's talk about another thing. Let's talk about the kitchen incident at Ray Reddy's house. Um, because I feel this is what a lot of people lean on when it comes to this whole, they're demon theory. I almost feel that the whole thing was made to address this one specific scene. Where Graham, Mel Gibson's character, he runs into a trapped alien. They have this encounter. The alien can't get out of the kitchen. And that's what pisses people off. The argument they make is the whole, These things are supposed to be intergalactic aliens from outer space, but they can't open pantry doors. That became kind of a joke. So much so that it was pretty much addressed outright in Scary Movie 3. Which is the last good parody movie that was ever really made. But. That's just my opinion though. I think that's when people started to really consider the whole maybe they're not aliens thing, and it really took off. It's said that vampires and demons cannot enter your home unless they're invited and that this somehow is the reason why the alien can't seem to get out. If I really start to think about it though that makes no sense at all though because the alien was already inside the home and now it couldn't get out. So how
1: did it get inside in the first place? So it kinda worked, but it kinda doesn't. The
0: most obvious answer to this whole puzzle is the way the aliens are defeated. With water, big spoiler. Let's just cut to the chase. Um, People say it's cause, oh, well, he was a priest. His faith was restored at the moment he saw the aliens. And so he blessed I know you can't see me but air quotes he blesses the water and now it's holy water and that's why it's harmful to the aliens also there's a whole not so subtle line a few minutes before about how the method to defeat the aliens was discovered in the middle east i also think this solution is lame it sounds legit but it's also lame It makes more sense if we stick with the notion that they're aliens and that there are no coincidences. Because that's the point the movie's been trying to make this whole time. That everything that has happened to Graham and his family has happened for a reason. So there's the implication that God is looking out for him. And that he and his family are not gonna die. But that just opens up a bigger and even more disturbing implication the movie makes a point to imply that there's no coincidences. That everything that's
1: happened and that's happening is happening for a reason. So, everything?
0: Merrill failing to become a professional baseball player? I guess that was God's plan. Uh, Morgan being born with asthma? Yup, that too. So on and so on. The movie seems to imply that God is specifically looking out for this family by making sure all these little pieces fall in place. That includes the death of Graham's wife. If his wife doesn't die, she can't tell Graham to see. She can't tell Meryl to swing away. She has to die so they can live and that's kinda messed up. I mean Graham loses his faith over his. He feels that God killed his wife or that God did nothing to save his wife. Hence the reason why he doesn't believe in coincidences. His wife's last message restores his faith. So I guess God give it and God take it? Is is that what they were going for? Hey there, I'm taking your wife and your faith. I'm also restoring your faith, but I can't give you your wife back. And if you don't believe in me, I'm also taking your son. Dude, that's that's kind of petty. I, I, I just don't like that. Maybe he could have gone about it in a different way. I don't know. Let's just try to not analyze this movie too much. Because honestly, between you and me and whoever else is listening to this, I think it's just lazy writing. Instead, let's just enjoy it for what it is. It's a goofy,
1: disjointed, but ultimately entertaining movie about dumb aliens. The last section was really hard to write, really to write, I don't know. Uh,
0: what's going on here? What did I write? It doesn't matter. Uh, there's a few more arguments that you can make about these aliens not being aliens, but I'm done. I'm, I'm tired. I never claim to be a thorough person when it comes to these movie reviews or retrospectives whatever you want to call them. I just tell y'all what I see and what I think. Moving on, let's talk about the character developments that each of these people receive as their story unfolds. Graham is the most developed character of the bunch. Ultimately, this movie is about him. So we see his journey unfold as the story goes on. He starts the movie as a man who's lost his faith in the world, in people, and in life altogether. He's only holding on to. He's only holding on because he has to. Because his wife just died and he has to keep it together for his kids, who are also taking the death of their mom really hard. When he discovers a crop sign on his property, he doesn't know what to think. He calls the police and her visit just. Leaves him even more confused. The whole crop circle thing has really thrown their whole routine into disarray. So, at the suggestion of the lady cop, he takes his family into town. And we see a little bit more of the person that he used to be. It seems like he was well liked, like he was a respected member of his community until he lost his wife. And then he left the church. While we don't really see how the rest of the town reacted to this, we see that a good number of them still see him as Father Graham, because they still call him that. He goes to a pharmacist to pick up some medication, and he has to listen to the pharmacist go on and on about how she sinned and how she's scared because of what's been reported in the news. This is one of the most interesting interactions that he has, because throughout the encounter, he makes no effort to try to comfort her, or give her any kind of kind words at all. Instead, he reminds her he's not a member of the church anymore. And you can tell how broken he really is. He just wants to pick up his items and go. When he goes off into the fields and gets a glimpse of the alien, he freaks out. And it's only then that he becomes a believer. He still doesn't think it's aliens, but he knows it's not people. They turn the TV on and now we see all the lights all over the world, all over specific CDs, cities, cities. How do you say that? It doesn't matter. I'm leaving that in and no one can make anything of it. What are the lights? Why are they here? What does all of this mean? The night goes on and we get the most interesting conversation in the whole of the movie. The kids have gone to bed, and in the darkness of the night, you see Graham and Merrill talk about what they just witnessed. Merrill is scared, and rightly so. Their journey to town had the opposite effect.
1: Having seen what other people think about the whole thing, he's now looking to his brother for some comfort. He doesn't get it. Graham is simply not at that place. He can't seem to help anyone in that regard.
0: Instead, Graham tells Meryl that there are two types of people. The ones that see coincidences and the ones that do not. Are the lights miracles? Is someone going to help them if they get into trouble? He asks him straight up, are you the type of person that believes in miracles? We see Meryl give him his response. And the way that Graham responds to that is, again, very telling. Instead of encouraging him, instead of comforting him, he simply tells him in the most direct way possible that there is no one out there looking out for them. And this is what Graham has become. The night passes, and the next time we see another significant interaction involving Graham is the conversation that he has with his children when he finds them in their room. Reading the book they purchased that talks about aliens, and while he's still skeptical, he sits down with them. He's still not fully convinced it's aliens, but you can tell that the hysteria that's taking over is also affecting him. We see Morgan explain what the aliens' intentions could be due to how they have behaved until now. It's definitely a unique perspective when it comes to the notion of an alien invasion. I have to give him that. Credit. Given where credit is due. Graham's responses to the whole thing are still very reasonable, even if he tries to mock the book's author at first. He walks away, and then he gets a phone call from Ray Reddy's house. Feeling that Ray might be in trouble, he tells Merrill to watch over the kids, and he goes to him. And this would actually prove to be very beneficial for Graham in two ways. First, we have the conversation between Ray and Graham. And we see that Ray's guilt has consumed him. That the accident has changed his entire viewpoint of things. And that he desperately wishes. That Graham could forgive him. But knows he can't really ask for that. And we also see that Graham is not really ready
1: to do that. And maybe he will never be ready. And that's also fine too. We also see the event that
0: finally convinces Graham that the alien threat is real, you know, his little interaction with the alien, and that they should act. So when he discusses it with his family, his argument's not super persuasive. And while it used to bother me in the past, I can tell that it's, it's not his fault. His encounter with the alien, with the entity from the cupboard, it was traumatic. And he can't really explain what he saw or doesn't really know what to do about it. All he really knows is that, for whatever reason, he believes in what Ray Reddy said. So he wants to go to a place with a large body, a large body of water nearby. I wrote "real by." I'm also leaving that in. That's what I wrote, "real by," because I'm an idiot. <laughs> it's decided. So they they bunker down. They're gonna stay home. They all decide to eat their favorite foods.
1: Drop a whole movie. We've seen small glimpses of what Graham's faith is. Throughout the whole
0: movie, we've seen small glimpses of where Graham's faith is, what he truly believes in, and the reasons why. And it all comes to a head at this dinner, where the family is morbidly enjoying what is more than likely their final meal. He refuses the children's request for a prayer, saying that they will not be praying. His lack of belief in full display. And it's at this point where Morgan hits him with the classic, I hate you, and you're supposed to feel bad for him. For all of them. And you know, I think this moment kind of falls flat. That's a shame. More on that later. Uh, We hear the aliens attack throughout the whole time that this is happening. He does his best to appease his children. To remind them of better times. And then they bunker down and barricade themselves away from the aliens. Is at the end of this whole thing. The climax of the movie. That we really see Graham finally understand. And see that someone really was looking out for him. According to this movie. He understand that. That everything that's happened to them has been for a reason. And that they can finally move on with the knowledge that his life and the lives of his children have been spared by a higher power, I guess. Six months later, we see his faith has been restored, and he's returned to the church as a priest once again. Graham's our protagonist, so he gets the best character development of the movie, and my only real complaint is once we reach the climax of the movie, we don't see too much of anything or anyone else. We get a glimpse of him dressed as a priest, and that's all. I can only surmise he's happy, but who knows. Let's talk about Merrill now. Joaquin Phoenix is a great actor. Having seen him before in Gladiator, I was glad to see him in something else that was totally different from that movie. Merrill is Graham's brother, and he's moved in with him since the latter lost his wife. He's the other adult responsible for taking care of the kids on the farm, and he's also low-key looking out for his brother as he grieves the death of his wife. When they secretly suspect that someone is on their farm, he comes up with the idea of running around the house trying to scare whoever's outside into coming out, and it's only then that they realize that it wasn't a normal intruder, but someone or something else. We don't get to see an immediate reaction to the crop circles from him, but we can assume that he's just as confused as the rest of the family. When the lady cop shows up the next day to get their statement, he gets a little mad when he correctly assumes that it wasn't a man or a woman, but something else. And then this lady gives him the whole, maybe it was a Scandinavian Olympian high jumper who was on your farm last night explanation, which always makes me laugh. Especially the justification she gives for saying it afterwards. We saw a foreigner tear a shot. So it could have been a Scandinavian Olympian that decided to come to Pennsylvania and mess with you guys on a farm. Never mind the fact that you guys could have been armed. Okay, rant over. Also, I apologize for the accent. It just comes out. I have no control over it. Anyway, Meryl's interaction when the family goes to town... It's also very interesting, we see him visit an army recruitment center. We don't really know whether he's actually considering a career in the armed forces or he's just looking around. But it's here where we see that he was once a promising prospect in the minor leagues that didn't make it to the major leagues, because he always felt compelled to swing away. It's a bunch of exposition, and while the scene itself is enjoyable, I feel we could learn these details about Merrill in a different fashion. When they go home and start picking up signals from the baby monitor, we see that Merrill is a bit of a skeptic himself, he's telling the kid, uh, kids that everything that's happening is the work of nerds who can't get girlfriends. Night comes and we see that lights in the sky have begun to appear everywhere. Meryl turns the TV off and after a while the two adults talk. Like I said before, Merrill is scared. Everyone is talking about the end of the world and he looks to his older brother for comfort. As we've already said, he really doesn't get it. Instead, Graham asks him whether he's a believer or not, whether he thinks divine intervention is a real thing, or everything is just a bunch of coincidences that sometimes favor you. Merrill's response is the former. He believes in miracles, and he credits the fact that he was about to kiss a girl before he realizes he's chewing bubblegums, he, he goes to spit it out, only to find that the girl throws up on herself. He credits this to God, which is weird, but okay. Despite Meryl's response, we see Graham adamantly tell him no one is looking out for us. And this worries Meryl. He knows his brother is deeply hurt by
1: what happened to his wife. But to see him have no faith, it's so crushing. He even asks him straight up, Why can't you be like you was before? And Graham doesn't answer. And it's a great scene
0: in the But By the next morning, Merrill has turned into a believer. He's been watching the news, did the TV inside the closet. He didn't want the kids glued to it 24 7. He tells us that the crop circles are landmarks to them so they can navigate. Graham leaves. I think it's at this point that he goes uh, to Ray Reddy's house. So Merrill's in charge. And it's at this point that we see the aliens for the first time. We get to see the Brazilian video. Merrill is right to be shocked, to be scared. The creature is very much humanoid. And at the same time, it's inhuman. It's one of the best scenes in the movie. It's really well done. Even if the kid, the random Brazilian kid that can speak Spanish has to be there so that he can narrate for us. I always thought that scene is funny, but there it is. It's there. The family eats their last meal. And then after they barricade the doors and the windows, Meryl handles the majority of that. Um, He knows full well that these measures aren't going to do much of anything if the aliens really want to decide. So they make their way into the basement to kind of survive the night. Um, One thing, and we'll keep going, if you hear motorcycle noises or car noises, those are just my idiot neighbors and the fact that I I live next to an alley and I can't really do much of anything. I'm super close to just buying padding for the windows so that you can't hear anything from outside. If you can't hear it, then this is just me telling you what I'm hearing outside, and that means my recording system's really good. Uh, back to what we we're talking about. Merrill wakes up the rest, it's the morning after, and he turns on a radio, and we hear from the outside world for the first and only time. And it's a private citizen who tells them and tells us that the alien threat has been defeated, that they have gone home, and they have left some stragglers behind. The climax of the movie has Meryl grab his bat, and having understood what Graham was trying to tell him, he
1: battles the alien
0: creature that has made their way into their home. He beats it to death with his baseball bat. This is Meryl's most triumphant moment in the movie. And it's also the last time we really see him. We don't know whether he joins the army or not. Whether he decides to play minor league baseball again. Or if he even decides to move away. I wish we had more closure when it came to his character. But it is what it is. Finally, let's talk about the kid. Because I believe their perspective is the most interesting one. Morgan and Bo are Graham's kids. And the loss of their mother has hit them especially hard. The first time we see them, it's Bo who we see. She's played by Abigail Breslin at a very young age. And she does her job really, really well. So she's the one who has some of the first lines of dialogue in the movie. She wakes up her father and they make their way to the crop circle along with the other adults, which would be uh, Merrill and the dogs and her brother Morgan. This movie is known for having stunted dialogue and it's the kids that get the most of it with all of Morgan and Bowles lines delivered in the oddest of ways. And for years I thought this was just the result of the script and thinking about it a little more, I come to realize it's supposed to sound like
1: this because of what the kids have gone through. Of Course they're gonna be a little off. And with that realization, you know, these young
0: actors deliver their lines expertly. When the crop circles begin, they'll pop up all over the world. It's Bo and Morgan who first see it on the TV. And so the family goes into town to try to have normal activities. So far, we've seen the interactions that Graham and Merrill had. Morgan and Bo's dealings with the bookstore owner are just as interesting. They don't see it as the end of the world. To them, it's, it's a marketing scheme designed to sell soda pop and other perishables we see Bo act up telling the owners that their water is contaminated it's a tick she displays constantly throughout the movie it's here that Morgan and Bo decide to buy a book about aliens and then they meet up with the adults to eat pizza the next moment of interest involving our young leads happens when they are reading their book their father the book they bought that talks about aliens, and I guess the book goes into great detail about what they would do if they decide to invade and take over the planet. I gotta say I've read plenty of alien books in my youth, and I don't once remember a book being that specific about what an alien civilization would do if they were to invade planet earth. I know they exist, and all of them are science fiction and speculation. More than likely, we will never be visited by aliens from another world. Sad to say, but it's the truth. I love the foil hats though, I thought that was a nice touch. Uh, We get the dinner scene, and it finally hits all of them that they're probably gonna die. Despite their insistence that they say a prayer, uh, Graham refuses to, and Morgan tells him that he hates him, that he let his mother die. Again, this scene always seems odd to me. It's supposed to be impactful. You're supposed to feel hurt by his words. But it kind of falls flat for me. Because at least... This is how I see it. Because we know it was an accident. We know that there was nothing Graham could do. It's a little boy lashing out at his father. I get that. But with no truth behind it. Like I said, it just has no effect for me. When the aliens assault the house, looking for a way to get inside, Graham comforts them, telling them various stories as to the circumstances of their birth. And it really does feel like they're all going to die. I love the tension in these moments. It was really well done. They bunker inside the basement. They survive the night. And then when daylight comes, they go upstairs. We get the final confrontation at the end of it all. And it's pretty significant and then the movie just ends. As far as character development, the kids don't really get too much of it. There's no clear roadmap for them. We know that to a certain extent, they do end up in a different place. We might even be able to say that they're happier now, even with everything
1: that's happened. So what did this movie make me feel? At the end
0: of the day, this movie definitely elicits an emotional response. Whether it be a good one or a bad one is entirely up to you. At this point in M. Night's career, people still had a lot of faith in him. They wanted this movie to give them that same kind of feeling that they had received from The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable.
1: And ultimately, I don't think it did. Does that make it a failure? I can't really say.
0: I always enjoy it whenever I watch it so I can't say it was a failure. I enjoy it and I suspect that you do as well. Otherwise you wouldn't have sat through this whole podcast of me talking about it. Having said that, let's talk about a few of the details I have to highlight just one more time. First and foremost, the end of the movie feels flat. I know that the confrontation with the alien is supposed to be the big climax of the movie. And then you know all the coincidences that line up so that they can survive so that Morgan doesn't die. It's supposed to be um uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um not lethargic. <laughs> it's not lethargic. It's um it's all supposed to come together and and bring joy to the audience, you know
1: a sense of relief and yeah it does all these things but that's it it pulls away like the camera pulls away and then
0: the scene changes and the scene change at the end of the movie i have to highlight it it's really well done you know you can see the change in the seasons as the camera is panning that's really cool I really like that detail that M. Night did with that scene. Having said that, we don't see anything else. It's kind of like, okay, it ended, and then we see Mel Gibson is a priest again, and we hear kids laughing, and that's it. I don't know. that. I've always had trouble with this ending. Like, really? That's, that's, that's what you're going to give me? What happened? Like, Like, what happened? Is there anything else? Like it feels like maybe there was like 10 more pages of the script and then M9 was like, eh, we don't need any of this stuff. And then he burns it in a fire or something so it doesn't get shot. I don't know. I just, I don't like it. It feels flat. Like this
1: is good enough. Let's just cut it here. That's what it feels like. So that's always just bug. I don't know if it bugs you, but it bugs me. Uh,
0: another little thing I wanted to talk about. The moments that are supposed to be emotional I fall flat. Um, Unbreakable was really good at presenting these moments. I'll I'll tell I'll talk about one right now. I do want to review that movie in its entirety at some point, but let's just talk about one moment right now. And it's the moment where he's already like bought into the idea that he's a superhero. He goes and. He saves those kids from that guy that was um, keeping them. And then, you know, he sits to have breakfast with his wife who he's trying to reconnect with because,
1: I guess, their marriage has basically died out. And they're trying their best to reconcile. And
0: his boy is clearly having issues with this whole thing. But the way that the boy is touched by his belief in his father, that his father is a hero, that his father can change things. He's so like, he was so attached to that belief throughout the whole movie. And then to have Bruce Willis basically confirm that to him and they do all this without words. It's all done without words. Like all he does is he points at a newspaper and the kid is so flabbergasted and there's tears in his eyes. And I'm like, wow, I'm like, that is such a great scene. That's a scene. That's a moment that's supposed to be emotional and it hits every note. It's supposed to, I really think that's what M. Night was going to in some of these moments in the movie not all of them i mean the death of graham's wife that that moment was emotional both the actors sell it everything's on point everything's great about that scene but some of the other ones like oh you know like i I already talked about it but you know when they're eating dinner and then the kid's like oh i hate you you let mom die and i'm like really kid i know you guys are like emotional, I know you guys think are, you're going to die, but this is what you come up with? <sighs> I don't know. That's always bugged me. I don't want to keep talking about that. I want to be positive. That's my watch going off telling me that it's four minutes
1: before what? I don't know what time is it. Let's fuck what time? Time, 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 time. Oh, four minutes before seven. So yeah, I've never, never been a big fan of
0: that. And then finally, just the theories that surround this movie. Like when you write a script that has holes to the point where fans have to come up with theories. Just to kind of justify the fact that your script has holes. Ah, Okay, fine, I'll let it go. I'll let it go. It is what it is. The movie is what it is. And what it is, it's, it's entertaining. You can have a lot of different ideas. About the quality of this movie. You know, you, you could say that this was a great movie, and I could believe that to a certain extent. You go about it the other way and say this movie was awful, and I would believe that too. There's arguments to be made about it both ways. Good arguments.
1: Ultimately, was this movie entertaining? Yeah, it was. And for most movies, that's, that's the
0: litmus test that I judge them by. I enjoyed it the first time that I watched it. Yeah, I did. Here's the key, though. Do I enjoy it now, with a little more hindsight after the honeymoon period's over? Yeah, I, I, I do. It's really not as terrible as people have made it out to be in the last couple of years. I say this once again. If it's been a while since you've seen it, go ahead and watch it. If you've never seen it, give it a shot. You don't have a lot to lose. I'm pretty sure you're going to enjoy it. My friends, I am so glad you came along for the ride. I'm sure our paths will cross once again. I want to thank you all for making such a journey with me. To take time out of your day and wander with us, you know it means the world to us. And I hope that at the very least, it's entertaining. If you want more, go ahead and listen to our previous episodes. All of our content is available for free. One day I may decide to record some premium content. Maybe then I'll charge for it. But until then, take care of yourselves,
1: my fellow travelers. And beware the wasteland.